Good evening. Josh really stitched me up with this one, all 41 verses. Alrighty. Uh, We are reading from Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had been touched by him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around uh, who went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons, seven sons of Sikiva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, they came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in the related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and he practiced and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. 
the people seized Gaius and Articaeus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theatre together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He mentioned for silence in order to make a defence before the people. But when they realised he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed the temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it, as it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In, the case, in that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion, since there, has, since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sam. I could have got you to read from chapter 18 if you wanted. <laughs> or if you wanted to come to Hertford Street a couple weeks ago, uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, have a look at that. Uh, you could do that one too. Uh, good evening. Uh, it's good to join uh, you tonight. Uh, my name is Josh. Uh, many of you know me. Uh, if you don't, it's great to meet you. I'm the pastor at Hertford Street Baptist Church, uh, and it's great to join you all tonight uh, on a grand final night uh, of all nights. Uh, it's great to open God's word together and to gather around his word. Uh, how about pray as we come to this passage? Father God, as we come to your word tonight, we ask, as we've just sung, that you would be our vision, O Lord of our heart. Lord, we pray that you would help us to focus on your voice, your word, uh, your spirit speaking to us tonight, that we may grow and live as your people, as disciples of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, some of you would have heard of Asbury University. Uh, it's a private Christian university uh, in the state of Kentucky in the USA. And earlier this year, uh, this university made the news for an unusual phenomenon. Uh, the Washington Post reported this. On February 8th, students at Asbury University gathered for their bi-weekly chapel service in the 1,500-seat Hughes Auditorium. They sang, they listened to sermon, they prayed, and nearly a week later, many of them are still there. News of the revival has also drawn students and other visitors to the campus to take part in their ongoing 24-7 prayer 
and worship. Now, revival is a debated term. Uh, There's some unhelpful aspects to it, but in its most helpful definition, uh, it's a work of God stirring in people's hearts as the scriptures are taught, as Christ is held out, and it leads to an unusual but spectacular response, response that's felt not only in the gathering, but in the whole community around them. And this particular event lasted about 15 days. There's debate about whether this was a revival or not, about the lasting gospel impact for those involved. But as we open up Acts 19 tonight, as the gospel message, as the message of Jesus reaches Ephesus, we see what some might call a revival, a spiritual awakening. We see the gospel moving and affecting everyone and changing everything in this city. As we consider the city of Ephesus, as you begin a series focusing on Paul's letter to the Ephesians over the coming weeks, Ephesus is a big city. It was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. It boasted a stunning port and harbour, a world-famous temple, and a large theatre. We'll see in a couple slides later. Uh, Yet this city, as the gospel comes to town, as a simple and clear message of life in Jesus is proclaimed, what happens in this city is simply revolutionary. The gospel turns this big city upside down. It's a fairly large section, uh, so we're going to be looking at this from a bird's eye view. And as we get introduced to Ephesus tonight, before you jump into Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, we're going to see four scenes tonight, four aspects from four different groups of people in Ephesus, where in different ways the gospel changes everything. And we're going to use that to think about what it means for us today as followers of Jesus living out the gospel in 21st century Brisbane, Australia. Well, today's passage starts, if your Bible's open, as Paul reaches Ephesus, he finds this group of people, and they look like disciples of Jesus, but they hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit yet. Have a look at verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. They found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Then into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. You see, these 12 guys here, they were baptized in John the Baptist's baptism. They probably heard about Jesus, the one that John the Baptist pointed to, but they didn't know the Holy Spirit existed. So they didn't know the events of Acts chapter 2. They're probably Gentiles because they didn't know the promises of the Old Testament either. And it's possible that they didn't even know about Jesus and the events of the cross. Either way, these 12 guys, they had a deficient gospel message. They knew John's baptism, but not who it pointed to. They were disciples, but it's not clear who they were disciples of. So Paul fills them in in verse 4. 
Paul said, John baptized with the spirit of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. You see, after Paul explains Jesus and the gospel message to these men, it's implied here that they believe. They're baptized. The Spirit comes on them. The land, the hand laying, I think if there's any special significance, is about welcoming them into the community of believers. And as we see in some, but not in every work of the Spirit in Acts, we see a visual confirmation of the Spirit's work as people respond to the good news of life in Jesus. You see, as the gospel message hits the city of Ephesus, it changes everything for these 12 disciples, for people with some, but not all, the elements of the gospel message. You see, the gospel message, as it's declared, it completes the story. For those who know a bit about Jesus, who are curious about Jesus, who have a somewhat deficient version of Jesus. And you know, everyone, almost everyone in our city has some sort of story of Jesus. Some are more curious, some are less curious. Some have parts of gospel truth and others have a bit of a warped gospel truth. And as believers share the gospel message, just as we see Paul did to these 12 disciples, people, they receive a full and complete message of Jesus. For some, curiosities are raised. For others, curiosities are met. For some, more of the gospel message is understood. And for others, some of the distorted truths are undone. You see, the gospel does work. The gospel changes everything when people hear about Jesus, when people hear about his message of life and salvation, his saving work on the cross. The gospel is still working, even if we're not seeing revivals and conversions. And this should encourage us in continuing to share the good news of life in Jesus. Who knows how God is working as you share and put out the good news of Jesus. So our first scene tonight, as Paul interacts with uh, these disciples of John, we see that as part of the gospel changing everything, sharing the gospel, the result is people having a complete understanding of the good news of God, which centers in none other than Jesus. Well, as we keep going, uh, we get to verse 8 to 10, uh, and it's a summary of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And I just have a quick passing point here tonight. Verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, 
reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the good news of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. See, Paul, he settles into Ephesus. He does his usual thing. He starts in the synagogue, and after opposition, he moves on. And here he sets up in what's probably like a community hall. And Luke's summary here is the result of constantly, faithfully, repeatedly holding out the message of Jesus. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You see, this is our second thing. As the gospel shows up and changes everything in Ephesus, you see, it's inevitable that as the gospel is being made known to all, people change from not knowing Jesus at all to having heard the good news of life in Jesus. We see this in Paul and the other disciples of Jesus in Ephesus. And this is what we want to see. This is what we ought to see in our community today as we serve King Jesus and declare the good news of life found only in Jesus to all of those around us. Let me ask you tonight, is this the reality that you want to see? All the residents in our local community, Runcorn, Sunnybank, Brisbane Southside, having heard the good news of life in Jesus. Is this a reality that excites you, that burdens you, that spurs you on? And does your witness show this? Or does your fear or your other lesser priorities stop this from happening? You see, Paul, he obviously really wanted all, every single person in Ephesus to be presented and confronted with the gospel message. And I wonder if we really want this today. If we yearn for this picture of gospel change in our world, or if we really want to just live our lives, mind our own business, and get into, the he into heaven on the last day without trying to bring anyone with you. You see, the gospel changes everything. And it looks like the gospel being made known to all. Well, as we keep going, uh, a few years ago, I met, I met a group of believers. Uh, they were bikey gang members in the past. Uh, they were involved in crime and, dr and drugs. And as they accepted the good news of life in Jesus, they experienced a complete life change. They experienced real repentance, a confession of their rejection of God in their past lives. And they also experienced a day-to-day -day saying no to self, saying no to the world, saying no to their former life without God, and saying yes to living God's way under his good rule and growing more and more like Jesus. 
They were all big buff fellas being ex-bikey guys. Uh, they still wore their bikey clothes even though they became followers of Jesus. Uh, but they were lovely and godly guys. And it's very stark seeing people who were obviously far from God to them being day by day, action by action, bowing their knee to King Jesus. And that's what we see in the next few verses here. Because as the gospel changes everything, we see real repentance as people keep bowing the knee to King Jesus. Verse 11. And God was doing an extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. There's a lot of different things going on uh, in this narrative that try to steal our focus. Uh, Paul's ministry being powerful like Jesus. The magicians trying to use the name of Jesus as part of their magic. And the evil spirit's response. And even this naked guy who runs out. But I think the crux of the story is the end result. You see, the story started with this failed attempt to use the name of Jesus. But the story ends with the true power of of the name of Jesus displayed. Have a look at the story ending in verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You see, what happens here is a consequence of the gospel changing everything. The name of Jesus is praised. And believers, after seeing this play out, they were moved to real repentance confessing their worldly magical practice, practices, naming them, and bringing their books together. And we're not talking about Kuron books. We're talking about family magic and cult books passed down from the generations, totaling $10 million in today's currency. All of these books being burnt up generational sins coming to an end, satanic practices gone. Here we see as part of the gospel changing everything. Here we see real repentance, real no to sin and yes to Jesus. And this real repentance, this public spectacle of gospel repentance, 
resulted in increased gospel work and more people were saved. And this is what the gospel does as it comes to town, as it's declared, shared, heard and heeded. It results in real repentance and the repentance starts in us. If you hold on to the gospel, being refreshed by the gospel leads to real repentance. When's the last time you experienced real repentance? When were you so overwhelmed with the gospel that you said no to something, destroying a deep-seated idol in your heart, ending a worldly habit, exposing a heart and behavior that doesn't honor God in your life, killing sin in your life? And when have you said no to this and yes to Jesus, living gladly under his loving rule and bowing the knee to him in that area of your life. And the gospel brings real repentance to our communities too as people come to Jesus as they say no to sin and bow the knee to King Jesus. This becomes a gospel witness for more people to encounter Jesus as they see this happening. Imagine if the gospel took hold of our community so much that there was real visible, costly repentance on display in public in our community as the name of Jesus is lifted high. The gospel changes everything and it results in real repentance in people's lives. Well, as we come to the last section, it's a bit lengthy, some of you are looking at your watches, uh, but keep your Bibles open as we skim through it really quickly. And as I read it this week, this passage, this ending section, it reminds me of a thing that we do a lot in Australia, especially on a weekend like this weekend. Sports fans gathering at the city stadium, usually Suncorp Stadium for us, but the MCG yesterday and a core stadium tonight in Sydney to yell and to scream proudly for the city sports team. Well, in Ephesus, the Christian movement, sometimes called the way, was causing a huge uproar in the city. And it got to a point in verse 24 where this guy named Demetrius, a silver worker who made silver souvenir shrines for Artemis, gathered uh, his mates, the Silver Workers' Union, I reckon. And verse 25 starts like this. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, that this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's danger that not only this trade of ours might come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. 
You see, Christianity, the gospel, was causing such a stir, changing everything in Ephesus, that these silver souvenir makers, they were worried about their decline in sales and income because more Christians meant less temple visitors, resulting in less dollars. And they were worried that the great city of Ephesus with its magnificent temple would become nothing. So this Silver Workers' Union, uh, they do what they do best. They protest. They get on the streets, they build up a crowd, and they beeline their way to the city theatre, the one that can fit 25,000 people in the heart of Ephesus. Not only this, but they somehow grab Gaius and Aristarchus, two of Paul's missionary friends. And while Paul wanted to join the fuss, the disciples and some of the regional rulers urged him not to go. Verse 32, if you have a look, it sounds like the protest, it turns into a special city meeting. But it had no order. People had no idea what was happening. And it's possible that some of the Ephesians wanted to hear from the Jews. But when their appointed leader tried to speak, the crowd got rowdy. They sound like Aussies. They shouted out for two hours the pride of their city. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You see, the gospel really does turn everything upside down and change everything when it comes to town. And the section ends with the city clerk, uh, leader of the city, calming this meeting down uh, with a carefully crafted speech, affirming the pride of Ephesus, but also affirming a sense of tolerance and peace. Because any disturbance of peace would have attracted the eye of the Roman emperor, which was never a good thing at this time. But what we see here is the gospel changing everything. It's turning the city upside down, causing a stir, exposing and confronting the idols of the people, Artemis, money, and national pride. And as the gospel changes everything today, it does the same work today as it did then, exposing our idols. It does this for you individually, from the first time you hear the gospel message to the thousandth time, exposing the idols in your heart. And the gospel does this in our community too, as the good news goes out and shared, exposing the deep-seated idols of our society, whether it be success, security, comfortability, being loved, family, materials, wealth, pleasure, love, power, on and on. What are the idols of our society? Well, it's easy to say, but it's harder to own. Tim Keller has a great book called Counterfeit Gods, written to a more general American audience. But I think these are two big idols that the gospel exposes in Brisbane, Australia. In us, in our community, as the gospel goes out and is shared. And the first one is selfism. Me. Self is king. 
You do you. You determine your own identity. And it's seeped into our churches too. Masquerading as godly teaching. Have your best life now. Be true to yourself. And the second is rest and recreation. It's the Aussie lifestyle. Feed up, looking for the next adventure. Seeking that over and above, regularly gathering as God's people. Isn't it sad that regular church attendance is classified as once a month? What an indictment on our generation today. You see, as the good news of life in Jesus is shared, as people become serious about living for Jesus, the gospel changes everything. It exposes our idols and the idols of our community. It's going to cause an uproar. And we want this to happen. We want to see idols upended and placed under the lordship of Jesus as the gospel spreads in our community. Imagine in our communities today, the gospel causing a stir, that bookstores have a stocking issue because the self-help books aren't selling, but Bibles are out of stock and supply isn't meeting demand because people, they want to hear more about God and the good news of Jesus. Imagine the gospel causing a stir because kids can't make it to training night for their sports clubs and the shopping centres aren't being filled on Thursday night because churches were holding evangelistic courses on weeknights and so many parents and even teens were committing to them instead of going to their sports training. Imagine on a sporting night like tonight, the gospel causing a stir because the pubs were empty, a core stadium being half full, because people were so captivated by Jesus that they'd even forego a grand final to pack a church to taste and see the goodness of Jesus. And just to think about ourselves for a moment too, we love seeing this happen in people's lives, stories of conversion, of radical life change as people meet the risen Lord Jesus. But I wonder if we need to think about ourselves tonight. Is this the radical life change that we need? The gospel to expose my own big idols, your own big idols, whether it's love or success, wealth or pleasure, whether it's selfism or rest and recreation. Maybe you need to do business with God tonight as the good news of Jesus exposes the idols in your life, just as Scott prayed before. Maybe you need to get ready for this to happen as you journey into Paul's letter to the Ephesians, as you dig into what it means to be united to Christ over the coming weeks and months. In 1904, Wales experienced a great awakening of God. It began in local churches just like ours, as people prayed, as the gospel was shared. And just like in Ephesus, 
1904 and 1905, the gospel changed everything in Wales. Can you imagine 100,000 people came to Christ and joined churches in those two years? Judges had no cases to try. Policemen had no work and became church choir singers instead. Drunkenness was cut in half. Pubs were declaring bankruptcy. Miners stopped swearing. Illegitimate birth rates dropped. You see, the gospel really does change everything. When the good news of Jesus moves in our community, people are saved. Lives are changed. The clear and complete message of Jesus spreads. Confession and repentance happens. And idols are exposed. You see, it's not anything magic or secret. It's a simple yet revolutionary message of Jesus. It turns ourselves, our churches, and our communities upside down. We see this in Ephesus. But if it's not happening, maybe this is part of God's mysterious work and timing, but it's worth asking yourself, is the gospel taking hold of you? Is the good news of life found in Jesus alone, that in Christ your sins are forgiven and you look forward expectedly to eternal life, is that good news taking hold of you? Coincidentally, Jesus speaks these words in Revelation to the church of Ephesus. Words that are worth us reflecting on tonight as we finish off. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. The gospel changes everything. But is the gospel taking hold of you? Well, let me challenge you tonight. Find your love for Jesus. If you feel you need to, repent of your lack of love for Jesus. And let that love for Jesus overflow into a boldness to see the gospel take hold of you. And to take hold of you so much that it takes hold of the community around us. The gospel changes everything. The good news that Jesus is God's King. That through the cross, Jesus has made us right with God. This good news shared, it shakes and stirs and turns our communities upside down. This is the good news that our world that's lost without Jesus needs to hear. Would you pray that the gospel would work this way in our lives, in our churches, and in our community for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, your good news of life in Jesus changes everything. It turns lives and communities and cultures upside down as people bow their knee to King Jesus. 
Father God, please do this gospel-changing work in our lives today. And please work the gospel in our community, in Brisbane, Southside, in the community around Sunnybank District Baptist Church and Hertford Street Baptist Church. We ask that you'd save souls, change lives, bring repentance, break idols, and let your good news go forth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't rush off. Um, hang around and have a chat. Uh, don't get caught up with our.